In the last message, we saw Peter telling us that these false teachers are enticing the unstable. These false teachers are misleading the weak. These false teachers are deceiving the dupes into giving sin a new name. Ah, but Peter also tells us something else about these false teachers. He said, these false teachers and preachers are no rank amateurs. They are schooled in the art of seduction. Uh, They are trained. They are brilliant communicators. Here in verse 14, he makes what must have been a very painful statement for Peter to make and for us to hear, but it's the truth, and the truth sometimes hurt. He said, they are under a curse. Some of you probably have a problem with that. Well, I have a problem with it too, but how I feel is not the issue. What God thinks is the issue. Amen? And beloved, I want to tell you, and I said that last message, that Western culture got itself in the mess that it is in today is because we have ceased to think and began to only feel. And feeling can be very unreliable. And that's why Peter goes on to give us an example of a good prophet who went bad. I'm going to come to him in a minute. Some of these false teachers did not start as false teachers. Uh, They, at some point, began to think more highly of themselves than they ought. They started out with good intentions, but their pride and their arrogance got in the way. Their pride and their arrogance began to take over. Pride is at the very core of all strife and tragedy. Pride, when it's not disciplined and brought under the power of the Holy Spirit, it begins to develop an unrealistic view of oneself. Pride is when you think that you are so important, no matter what you say, people are going to follow you anyway. Pride keeps us from believing the truth and trusting the truth of the Word of God. And that's exactly where they are. Pride steals the glory from God and place it on self. Pride stands in judgment upon the Word of God instead of allowing the Word of God to stand on judgment of us. I was thinking about this, and I thought a story I heard some time ago of this tourist who went to see the great paintings in the Louvre in Paris. And she was viewing this great work of art, and she was not very impressed. So she sniffed and said, I don't think much of these. An official of the museum was standing right behind her, and he said to her, Madam, people do not judge these paintings. These paintings judge people. That is the problem with so many false teaching and false teachers and false preaching and false churches. They stand in judgment on the Word of God. This is right, this is wrong. This may have happened, this one did not happen. And they judge the Word of God instead of allowing the Word of God to judge them. For whatever reason, their pride got hold of them, and they began to reinterpret the Word of God rather than allowing the Word of God to fill them. 
and empower them. In fact, Peter is warning every one of us, every one of us, not just these false teachers, because we all, every one of us, including your pastor, are susceptible to this false teaching, especially when it's popular. He is warning every one of us, don't allow your pride to make us claim any power to ourselves or any authority, even over Satan. I'm not saying this. Peter's saying that. The Word of God is saying this. But rather, we cry out to God, and the God of power and might, He can rebuke Satan for you. He can bind Satan for you. He can give you victory over your Satan every time you come to Him. That's what he's saying here. Him right on this one. Satan and his demons, when they got thrown out of heaven, we saw that in the last message, they were sentenced to judgment, and, and they will be thrown into the lake of fire when Jesus returns. But don't ever forget, they are supernatural powers nonetheless. They are under the control of God, but their supernatural power and our flesh and our pride are no match for these principalities and powers and rulers when false teachers either ignore them or minimize them or undermine them or they think more powerful than they are, they are putting themselves in peril. As a matter of fact, Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, warns us. He only wrote one chapter. His epistle is just one chapter. And in verse 9 of that chapter, he tells us about an incident that had taken place where a conflict between the great archangel Michael and Satan, and the great archangel Michael himself did not say, I rebuke you, Satan. He said, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Be forewarned. True believers are not filled with pride, even spiritual pride, especially spiritual pride. But they always come to Jesus in a posture of brokenness, humility, not arrogance, and self-will. Beloved, I know it's fashionable among some, and I'm very careful, among some false teachers and preachers to say that we are gods with a small g. One of them said that the only thing that's human about you is that your body, but everything about you, you're a god with a small g. But there's something else here that I have learned about the common characteristics that I hear about those false teachers when they get caught into immorality. They begin to give grace as an excuse for sin, or as Paul said, a license for sin. And my beloved friends, I am told that even they become so blazant that they bring that sin into the church building. And that's why Peter, in verse 14, here he said that their eyes are full of adultery. What's that mean? Their eyes full of adultery. The word that Peter uses here of having trained their heart means that they have deliberately fought with their conscience until they have silenced their conscience. They have deliberately wrestled with God until they kept Him out of their lives. They have deliberately trained themselves to focus on the forbidden. In other words, their action and their false teaching are no accident. They're not accidental. 
It is one thing to experience momentary lapse. It is one thing to experience occasional failure, even miserable failure. But it's a whole different ballgame to be in sin and stay in sin and rationalize sin and explain sin. And that is why, of all the characters in the Bible who have blown it, and make no mistake about it, I'm so grateful the Bible does not cover up for the great men and women of God. Abraham lied. David messed up royally. Of all the people in the Scripture who have messed up greatly, Peter chooses one, Balaam. (laughs) Balaam. Balaam was a prophet who went bad for the sake of money. Money blinded him to the truth, so much so that even a donkey spoke to him. Beloved, listen to me. Be very careful. Be very careful when a donkey rebukes you, (laughs) even if he's in a human form. That's okay. The joke is on me. That's all right. By the way, you can find that whole story in the book of Numbers, chapter 22, and read the whole story. Because Balaam is a frightening example of a person who fought against the will of God, who tried to twist the arm of God, who tried to change the will of God again and again and again. For what? For a pile of cash. Ah, but he did it so nicely. (laughs) That's the thing you're going to notice if you read it carefully. He did it so nicely. Don't you ever pray about something the Bible said is wrong. (laughs) Meanwhile, there was a king, a king of the Moabites. Moab is part of Jordan today. and The king of Moabites, his name is Balak. Don't confuse him with Balaam. Balaam and Balak, I know they sound alike, but they're the ones who dealt with each other. They were negotiating. The king of Moab hated Israel. The king of Moab, Balak, feared Israel. The king of Moab, Balak, saw Israel as a threat to him. But he heard that there was a prophet for hire, a prophet for profit. He heard about this man, Balaam. And so King Balak sends for prophet Balaam and said to him, Come and curse Israel. Curse the people of God, and I will make you very, very rich. First he resisted. Oh, no, no, no. These are God's people. I can't do that. And then... He said, well, I can't go against the Lord. And then he said, well, let me check with the Lord. I want to see if I can get God to change his mind about his people. (laughs) And then he kept doing this. He kept doing this. And God kept saying, no, don't do that. Don't curse my people. You cannot do that. I blessed my people. You can't curse them. But the king kept on upping the ante. I mean, he kept increasing that pile of cash. He kept on increasing the payout. He said, man, look at this pile of of money. 
And he said, how can I turn this down? Lord, please, I can do some good with this money, Lord. I mean, I, I can support your ministry. Would you change your mind? And he kept at it, he kept at it. And God kept saying, no, no. The amount of money kept getting bigger. And he would go back to God. And God says, no. Beloved, you notice as you read the story, his strength to resist the temptation got weaker and weaker and weaker (laughs) by every passing day. Beloved, listen to me. Resist. Do not negotiate with the devil. Flee from temptation. Don't discuss it or debate it. In addition to his greed, Balaam was said of Balaam that he also was motivated by sexual immorality. Finally, when he still would not listen to the voice of God, he gets on his donkey, and he's heading toward Israel to curse them. And he gets into a narrow passage. And in that narrow passage, angel of the Lord was standing with a sword in his hand trying to stop him. But Balaam was so blinded with money that he didn't see the angel. And so he kept on beating his donkey. And the donkey couldn't move. And he kept on beating his donkey. The donkey saw the angel standing there, but Balaam didn't. You heard Scripture says that the God of this world has blinded them. My goodness gracious, if we've never seen that in real life, we're seeing it now. I'm seeing blindness like I have never seen. And I've seen a lot of people blinded. But are we seeing it in mass movement in America today? Blinded. I tell people, I said, these people are not shooting themselves in the foot. They're shooting themselves in the head. <laughs> I mean, he kept on beating the donkey finally. The donkey said, why are you beating me? Can't you see the angel? <laughs> hmm. When finally he could not curse the people of God because God blessed him, he came up with a diabolical plan which would have the same effect as cursing them came up with a diabolical plan for King Balak. He said, I'll tell you what. Get all your loose Moabite women and let them go and seduce the men of Israel. And it worked. It worked. My beloved friend, be very careful. Be very careful of Satan's trick to deceive you. Be very careful of Satan's trick to entice you. Be very careful of Satan's trick to mislead you. Be very careful of Satan's trick to get you to rationalize sin and explain sin as an inevitable progress. Be very careful of Satan's trick to numb your conscience. Are you with me? He keeps at it and at it if you don't flee until he blunts the sharpness of the voice of the Holy Spirit. Every time I think about this, I think of an experience I had as a six-year-old boy. I was in first grade. We initially used to live in the main old city, but my father sold that house, and he built a lovely three-story house in the new side of town. And it was exciting for a little boy, but there was a problem with the house. It was very close to a railway line. And so the first night we slept in the new house, every time the choo-choo train, that's how far ago that was, (laughs) it was, 
Screaming. Screaming. I jumped six inches out of my bed. Next time, I might jump four inches. Next day, next week. And then I began to, when I hear the train screaming, I would wake up. I go back to sleep. I wasn't jumping at all. In less than three months, I slept like a baby, train and all. Beloved, that is how the enemy works with all of us. Young or old, doesn't matter. This is how he works with all of us. And Peter said about these people who numbed their conscience in order to, for whatever their motives may be, he said, they're like a spring that has no water in it. They're like a mist or a cloud that the wind comes and they sweep it away. Why is that important? Because in that part of the world, they were utterly, thoroughly dependent on the rainwater. You remember Elijah when he sent his assistant, said, go and find out when they're waiting for the rain, they're waiting for the rain. So as soon as he saw a cloud as big as the man's fist, he said, great. God is going to answer our prayer. So that's how, when they look up and they see that cloud, they get excited. Their hope is built. Rain is coming. Rain is coming. Help is coming. And then, to this thorough disappointment, wind blows that cloud away, and hope is dashed. And they come to these false teachers hoping for bread, but they get a scorpion hoping for water, and they get poison water. Verse 18, they use high-sounding words, fine phrases, brilliant communication skills, but they never satisfy the soul of a true believer. They'll never fill the soul of a true believer, because a true believer can only be filled by the Word of God. Testimony time. As many of you know, in the early 80s, I was at a secular university doing a PhD in sociological studies. And I remember, now remember, I was ordained already for the ministry, but I was in my very early 30s and very impressionable. I'm still impressionable, actually. I got an impressionable mind. And so I'm among all these intellectuals at the university. I mean, they were very intellectual. Especially one, one particular, and I, I'm telling you, I mean, he is a Harvard guy, but it's not just Harvard, it's Harvard. Harvard. You have to kind of, Harvard. Yeah, I mean, man, I was so impressed with that. I want to be like these guys. I want to be intellectual. I've never considered myself to be intellectual. I was kind of a plain-spoken man, and I thank God I went back to that now. <laughs> I don't get that highfalutin stuff. doesn't help you. never helped me. <laughs> and for 18 months, I ate up the stuff. I really did. Until the grace of God woke me up in time. I was drinking poison water. I want to talk like them. I wa- so I was thinking like them. I was slowly, patchouli, was numbing my conscience. But God, in His mercy and in His grace, Walk me up. Look at verse 18 again. They allure those who have already escaped from the life of sin and the life of error. They already escaped, but they allure them back. Instead of building up the believers in the truth of the Word of God, they allure them 
into doubting the truth, into picking and choosing the truth, in wanting to believe that but not this question. Why do you think Peter is so concerned about this? I personally believe it's because Peter knew experientially, experientially, he knew. And beloved, I know experientially how difficult it is to be unhooked and untangled from the errors and the doubts once they get their hooks into you. Verse 19 is a key verse. Don't miss it. It's a key verse. He said, these false teachers and false leaders always talk about liberty and freedom. They do. But it's not what the Bible teaches what liberty and freedom is. They use the word, but not the same meaning. Because when the Bible speaks about our liberty in Christ and our freedom in Christ, it means our freedom not to sin. Before Christ came into our lives, we were slaves to sin. But when Christ came into our lives, we became free from that slavery. We are now free to say no. Now we're free to have the victory. But false teachers twist these truths. They twist the meanings and say, Christian is free to sin, and God's grace will take care of it. These false teachers pride themselves in being liberated to sin. I want to tell you something else about human pride. Pride is like a beard. Trimming it won't work. You have to shave it. And once you've shaved it, you keep on shaving it. <laughs> Every single day. You're never too old to shave that pride sin. Let me tell you something else about pride that I observed from ministering for 40 plus years. It is the only disease known to mankind that makes everybody around you sick except the one who has it. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? That is why, listen to me, that's why every one of us needs someone to walk with us. Every one of us needs someone to walk with us. And that's why the mentoring program, the discipleship program, the small group, everything in this church is geared for no one to be able to walk alone, should not walk alone in the walk of faith. Everyone needs someone because they help us keep on shaving pride. <laughs> they really do. As a matter of fact, every time I think about pride, I think of this young pastor who was fresh out of seminary. He was just ordained. A week later, he was appointed into a small church, and, and he preached his first sermon. And, and then on the way home, he looked at his young wife, and he said to her, uh, how many great preachers do you think there are? Without batting an eye, she said, one less than you think. Now, beloved, many of the false teachers start well. They really do. They start well, well-intentioned, as they gain popularity and power. They cease to preach the truth, and they allow their charm, and not the changeless gospel of Jesus Christ and the changeless truth of the Word of God, to be their secret. 
And Peter is saying that for that reason, their judgment will be more severe than some of those who have never heard of Jesus. They will face greater condemnation than those who have never known biblical truth. Why? I think in most cases they're not saved. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4, 5, and 6 says of them, he said, they tasted, they tasted, but they never ingested. They tasted, but never ingested. Wine tasters, and they keep mugging them out. They could be taken for out on what they're doing all this time. Two minutes, three minutes, and then they spit it out. Verse 22, Peter quotes Proverbs chapter 26, verse 11. Like a dog returns to its vomit. And then he adds, or a swine, after being washed, returns to wallow in the mud. In reality, as I said, these people may never have been saved to begin with. However, and this is the big one, don't miss it, however, if they are saved— if they belong to the remnant, if they are belong to the church of Jesus Christ, if their names are written in the book of life, one day, when they repent, they're going to be crying blood. Or the Lord will take them home. As Paul said, to save their soul, he'll take their body. See, in Bible times, dogs were not those lovable, huggable pets that you have at your house. It's fine. It's great. I love dogs in your house. <laughs> in Bible times, dogs and swines were contemptible animals. Question, why is Peter using such a strong language? I mean, really is that strong language by first century standards, by our standards? It's a strong language. Beloved, listen carefully so as to highlight the fact that the lapsed Christians will face more tragic plight than the unconverted. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, Jesus puts it this way. He said, when an evil spirit leaves a person's soul, and if that soul is not filled with the Holy Spirit of God, that evil spirit is watching and he's watching, and he's watching, and that place has not been filled. It's still empty. So he goes out, and he brings seven more evil spirits than he is, and they come in, and they set up house. It's terrifying when you think about it. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, read it carefully when you go home, that when a true believer, a person who's saved eternally, and you and I cannot judge that because we do not have the book of life with us, and we don't know. And just let's be careful, okay? But if that person is saved eternally, name written in the book of life, and they keep on disobedience, they keep on deliberately uh, moving away from the world, deliberately belittling the Word of God, deliberately. First Corinthians chapter 5, Paul said, God takes the body so that he may save that person's soul. Beloved, I told you in the last message, God is very, very, very patient. But God will not be mocked. God 
will not be mocked. Can you say it with me? God This tragic ending does not have to be. Wherever you are in the spectrum of the Christian journey, whether you are a beginner or in the middle, or wherever you are, that tragic end does not have to be. Turn back to God while you can. Turn to the Lord while He may be found. Repent now before the repentance time has passed. God is waiting and longing to forgive and to restore and to heal. And, beloved, I thought of this. I said, who knows more about the graciousness and the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus than Peter? Let me conclude by telling you not a Christian story. It's a secular story, but it has Christian implications. In fact, it happened before Christ. It was said of the great Greek philosopher Socrates that one day he was walking down the street, and he looked inside a house of ill repute, and he saw one of his disciples there, one of his students. Stepping inside, he looked over, and he called out his student, come out, come out. But like Adam, that disciple hid from his master. And finally, when Socrates persisted, The young man came out of hiding with face that was crimson with shame. He hung his head, expecting stern rebuke from his teacher. But Socrates spoke to him gently, saying, and I quote, Come forth, my son, I pray you come forth. To leave this house is not a disgrace. The only disgraceful thing is to stay in it. Now, beloved, of course, he's never known the forgiveness of Jesus. He's never known the power of the cross and the shed blood of Christ. And that is why it is even greater rebuke for us to know the truth and choose to stay in the mud. Will you come to him? Will you come to him? Father, it is my plea that you'll never, ever let me cease the wonder of the amazing love of Jesus and the continuous call of Jesus. Father, I thank you that I stand in amazement 42 years after your initial call to my life, as I did on that day. And Father, don't allow it that we ever come to a ho-hum about your grace, about your mercy, about your willingness to forgive and restore us. May everyone at the sound of my voice, Lord, as they come and participate, they will lay all sin upon the cross of Calvary, and that you begin to restore lives even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.